Hello, welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. In today's episode, we study Psalm 85. Psalm 85, let's read the words. The text says, For the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah. O Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin, Selah. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again? That you may that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will say. He will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land, loving kindness and truth have met together, righteousness and peace have kissed each other, truth springs from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him and will make the footsteps, his footsteps into a way. A Psalm of the Sons of Korah, just as Psalm 42, Psalms 44 through 49. Psalm 84 was a psalm of the sons of Korah. Notice that verses 1 through 7 addressed God in second person. They speak of God as you and your. But in verses 8 through 13, God is spoken of in third person. A reasonable way to divide the psalm seems to me that verses 1 through 3 talk about God's kindnesses to the people, God's past kindnesses, whether it be a recent past or a distant past. God has been merciful and gracious to Israel. But they find themselves in verses 4 through 7 in a present crisis. And then in verses 8 through 13, the character of God is referred to as an answer to their crisis, as a reminder that this is the answer to their difficulties. Some have suggested that Psalm 85 may have been written after the people returned from Babylonian captivity, but when they came back, everything was not as glorious as they expected and they were quickly in need of revival once again. That may well be correct. In verse 1, O Lord, you showed your favor to your land, and you restored the captivity of Jacob. The phrase is actually restored the captivity. It's translated restored the fortunes in the ESV. But, but the idea is that God turns a person's circumstance or situation around. It is used to describe God blessing Job in Job 42 and verse 10. 
It is used to describe the people returning from Babylonian captivity in Jeremiah 30, verse 3. In Jeremiah 30, in verse 18. O Lord, you showed your favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people, and you covered all their sins. The idea of God forgiving, the word here indicates to lift, to carry. And sin is viewed as a burden, a burden that is too heavy for us to carry. And God is pictured as lifting it up and carrying it away. You forgave, you carried the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sins. Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2 uses this expression of God covering our sins, of covering our transgressions. And in verse 3, God withdrew withdrew his fury and turned away from his burning anger. God restored the captivity, the same word that's used there in verse 1 to speak of restoring the captivity is used here in verse 3, God turned away his anger. It can refer to God turning toward a person or turning away from a person. It can refer to a people turning to God. It can refer to a people turning away from God. And this particular word, shub, is a key word in Psalm 85. It is used for God restoring the people in verse 4. It is used for the people not turning back to folly in verse 8. It is also used in verse 6. But verses 1 through 3 describe God's past kindnesses. He has restored them. He has forgiven them. He has covered their sins. He has withdrawn his anger. He's turned away his fury. And now in verse 4, restore us, O God, of our salvation. One of the things I would like you to look for in Psalm 85 is how it describes the nature and character of God. And you see particularly in verses 3 through 5 a great emphasis on God's anger. Several different terms are used. In verse 3, God's fury and God's burning anger. In verse 4, his indignation. In verse 5, his anger. In verse 6, his anger. All of these expressions to talk of the wrath of God. And here in the midst of this dilemma, to the people it seems as if God's wrath will never end. Now frequently in this book 3 of the Psalms, there have been statements like that found in verse 5. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? For example, Psalm 74, 1, you see this kind of idea. Psalm 79, verse 5, Psalm 80, and verse 4, Psalm 89, and verse 46. If you look up each of those passages, you'll find in this third book of Psalms, it uses words much like this, that it seems like God's anger and God's wrath is going to last to infinity. And the plea is, God, restore us and cause your indignation toward us to cease. In verse 6, I would encourage you with the pronoun you 
at the beginning of that verse to circle it. Because in Hebrew, there's a separate personal pronoun which emphasizes it. Will you not revive us again? In other words, if revival is coming at all, it's coming from God. It is going to be God's work and not man's work. Will you not revive us again? And that word revive is used for rebuilding the stones around Jerusalem in Nehemiah 4 and verse 2. It is used for God giving life to things that seem like they had no life. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. The loving kindness of God is a key characteristic of God mentioned in verse 7. It will be mentioned again in verse 10. A word that is used so frequently in the Psalms, a word that summarizes God's endurance, God's patience, God's long-suffering, God's mercy, God's compassion, God's grace, God's loving kindness, or as the ESV has, His steadfast love. Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. But verses 8 through 13 is the section that will have the most to say about the nature of God. I will hear what God the Lord will say, and He will speak peace to His people, to His godly ones. God will speak peace. But let them not turn back to folly. The God who is so gracious to us, the God who restores us, calls us not to turn back to folly or sin. Shall we do evil that grace may abound? May it never be. God's goodness, God's kindness, God's mercy and forgiveness, God's loving kindness is a reason for a deeper and richer commitment to God, not to turn back to folly. In verse 9, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. The word for dwelling is used for God dwelling among his people in Exodus 24 in verse 16. The same root is used to speak of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is a place of God's dwelling. And God's glory is often associated with God's tabernacle and God's house, God's temple. And you remember in Ezekiel chapter 10, in verse 4, in Ezekiel 10 verse 18, Ezekiel 11, 22 and 23, that God's glory departs the temple of Jerusalem. But, but here you see that God's glory may dwell in our land. But listen to how verses 10 through 13 describe the attributes of God. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Loving kindness, God's faithful and reliable love to us. God's loving kindness and truth. This word may be better translated faithfulness, for it shows a God who keeps his promises, who does what he says. He is a God of loving kindness. He is a God of faithfulness. And righteousness and peace 
have kissed each other. Righteousness can refer to God making us right with himself. It can refer to God being a holy and righteous being. It can refer to God vindicating an innocent person. Or it can refer to God's salvation. But righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth or faithfulness springs from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. Did you notice in verse 11 the merism, earth and heaven? But all the world is filled with his glory. His faithfulness springs from the earth. His righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its produce. Psalm 65, verses 9 through 13, celebrated the abundant and fruitful land that God provided for his people. Righteousness, verse 13, will go before him, and he will make footsteps into a way. Righteousness is the path God follows, and the path God walks, and the path in which he leads. You guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Psalm 23 tells us. Notice the loving kindness of God is stressed in verse 7 and verse 10. The truth or faithfulness of God is stressed in verse 10 and verse 11. God's righteousness is highlighted in verse 10, verse 11, and verse 13. And the peace that God gives is described in verses 8 and 10. What does this teach us of the nature of God? It teaches us that our God is a consuming fire. And verses 3 through 5 highlight his wrath. But it also stresses these other qualities. God's loving kindness and God's faithfulness. God's truth. Both of which are emphasized in Exodus 34 verses 6 and 7. God's righteousness, God's peace... And the fact that God brings salvation. These are the things that are told us about God. Our responsibilities before him are described in verse 9 as fearing him. And verse 8 as not turning to folly. But how does Psalm 85 tell us of Jesus? Well, in many ways this is easy. Jesus, God incarnate, is the perfect expression of God's love, of God's loving kindness, of God's faithfulness, and God's righteousness. That's demonstrated in so many passages. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 is one of those. The Bible tells us in verse 2 that you forgave the iniquity of your people, and you covered all their sins, Salah. That happens through the death of Jesus Christ. God brings us and grants us salvation, as verse 7 particularly says. He does that through the cross of Jesus Christ. In verse 8, the text says, He will speak peace to his people to his godly ones. He will speak peace. Remember the angels announced in Luke chapter 2 in verse 14, peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when Jesus was resurrected in John 20, in John 20 in verse uh, 
21, verse 26, he announces peace. God's loving kindness and truth, his loving kindness and faithfulness meet together in the cross. God righteousness and peace kiss each other. Because Jesus has brought peace between man and God, Jesus also brings peace between man and his fellow man. In Ephesians 2, verses 14 through 17, he brings peace between man and his fellow man. He breaks down the walls that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Loving kindness and faithfulness have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed together. That happens in the cross. And in the cross, Romans 3, 21 through 26 shows us God's righteousness is demonstrated. His righteousness demonstrates in the fact that he punishes sin. Sin is too serious and too big of a deal simply to sweep under the rug. But sin must be punished. But also, God punishes sin in a way to open the door of salvation to the sinner, that in Jesus Christ, sinners can have all their sins covered or have their iniquity forgiven and their sins covered in the language of Psalm 85, verse 2. Indeed, Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, which uses language very similar to Psalm 85, 2, that psalm, Psalm 32, 1 and 2, is quoted in Romans 4, verses 6 through 8, to talk about the salvation that comes through the death of Jesus. God forgave our iniquity. God covered all our sins in Him. May God richly reward you through the reading and meditation of this beautiful Psalm 85. May the Lord bless you.